Sir. We got to tell you that was a beautiful song. Thank you. And yeah, Brenda and I were talking. Brenda, um, I, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Brenda, do you have anything to say, Tony? Oh, it's a wonderful asset, and and we really would like to have you in our choir. I mean, beautiful Roger. voice, right? Absolutely. Is that? I think this is a 413 back here model number. Uh, you know why, you know why we picked 413, Tony? Oh, tell no, me, no. Tell me why I picked model number 413. Like Philippians. Oh, right, right, yeah. I can what? Do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Listen, don't count that against my sermon time, all right? I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I haven't, uh, th- yeah, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Um, God's design for salvation didn't just include the legal declaration that by faith in Christ we are completely forgiven and righteous, we're completely a part of his people, but also had built into it his unfailing love for those he saves. And it's, it's not just that then now the books are balanced. It's, it's that we've been adopted into God's family. We've been made sons and heirs through God's amazing grace, which has just been lavished on us in Christ. That There is no other means God has provided for us to know that we're secure. This, this truth, the gospel, it's the warm blanket for our souls when we don't understand, when we struggle with sin and the curse, when we fail, when we succeed, when we don't know where to turn, when doubts and fears assault us while our flesh is waging war against our souls on those days when we fathers realize that we have fallen short of the mark yet again, there is one constant one thing we need to know one thing that god gave to hold us we are his in christ forever and nothing and nobody can change it it's it's no longer i who live remember but christ who lives within me 220 to be brought into christ through faith is to put on christ 327 and to have christ on is to be a son and an heir of god the father 47 the the burden weighing paul's heart down so much is deeper than than the fact that their theology is off in galatia that they aren't interpreting the bible correctly it's it's that their incorrect interpretation their willingness and desire to listen to these false teachers that to truly be god's people they needed to be circumcised like the jews were and obey the law that is keeping them from believing that they are safe it's preventing them from living in light of the fact that they've already been accepted by god they're already loved by God. They're already forgiven. They're already righteous. It's keeping them from believing that what God has accomplished in Christ is sufficient for them to belong to Him. To be saved is to wear Jesus Christ as our identity, as our salvation, as our standing in God forever. They've been given new clothes in Galatia. They had been given new clothes, but they don't fit yet. Their souls are refusing to grow into them. They want to cling to the old way. They want to wear the old clothes, and the old clothes are slavery. And Paul is in anguish until the new clothes fit, until they grow into the knowledge of what Christ has done for them. And because to this day, To this day and every day from here until Jesus returns, this remains the issue for Christians that we will not rest in what Christ has done. We will not grow into who He is and what He has done for us. This still remains the burden every preacher and every believer must recognize. We must grow into and embrace the knowledge of what Christ has truly accomplished for us. We have to become what we are, who God says we are. Our souls depend on it.
So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20 this morning. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? It's one of the most heartbreaking questions in the whole Bible. You hear is heartbreaking here. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your perfect word. Every word of it, Father, every line perfect from your spirit through the hands of men. Father, I pray that we would hear Paul entreating us along with the Galatians in this text this morning. Father, your word is alive. It's living. It's active even now in this moment to reveal our souls that they might be healed by you. And so, Father, would you do your work? Would you have your way? Would you completely overshadow me, Father, so that your word is preached and not my own? And I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable everybody to hear. Enable everybody to get it. Enable everybody to listen. I ask Amen. You may be seated. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So, we've been in this for for just over four chapters now. We're right in the middle of four chapters. There's something coming to the surface. You can hear it. It's implied in his urgency. It's implied in the amount of detail that he gives. It's implied in the very content throughout the letter that we we need to know, we would do well to remember, it is easy to fall from faith. Meaning, it's easy to stop believing that we are saved by grace through faith alone. That's easy to do. That is natural, in fact. That's what our tendency is. That's what we want to do, right? We're born wanting to save ourselves. Which means it's easy to start believing or really to keep believing what we already think by default. We have to earn salvation. At the very least, we have to contribute something. That's part of the reason Paul's argument has so many layers to it. We need them. We need it spelled out for us with this level of detail. The devil has achieved his goal when he is able to successfully plant the seed of doubt about the sufficiency of Jesus for us. That's why Paul talks so much about the same two things, really, about Jesus and faith, because it really is the only way the righteousness that God accepts can be attributed or given to anyone is by faith through Christ. The law will not, cannot do that. It cannot do it. The devil convinces people, however, that the law will do that. It will make you more righteous, when in reality, it will have the opposite effect According to the word of God, it will cause more sin. It will stir up more of it and therefore enslavement. Jews and Gentiles, as Paul is writing, had very different backgrounds. But as we'll see, Paul thinks of both in terms of enslavement. Gentiles had not been the people of God in the old age. They didn't have his word. So their background, their idolatry was more crude, right? More often they worshiped literal false gods, things they literally made and thought they were gods. Now, on the one hand, they're not gods, right? They're just 
something we made. They're nothing. But we do find in Scripture that demonic activity lies under these things. Look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, right, there's a shift. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? That's a new description for what he said in verse 8. Whose slaves you want to be once more. Notice very quickly here, Paul will not put any doubt on the priority of grace, even in his semantics, and even for a second. Not for a second. He corrects himself here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We did not save ourselves. We did not somehow by ourselves on our own when we heard the message just decide to come to know God. We didn't save ourselves. That's what that would be. He saved us. We didn't work up faith. He gave us the faith to believe as a gift. So when Paul is writing, now think of this now, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit exactly what God wants written. So when he makes a statement that might leave even just a little bit of room for human credit, now that you have come to know God, now that you are the, you see, you're the subject of that verb, now that you have come to know God, he instantly corrects himself. Or rather, to be known by God. That's what has happened. We have nothing to be prideful about. Nothing. Nothing to take credit for. It's not that we have sought and figured it out and have come to know God. It's that we are known by God. That's what it is to be saved. That's what it is to be free. What God has done, not me. Semantics matter. It's right here in front of us. Semantics matter. And now that we are known by God, he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles or elemental spirits, it may say, of the world? What are those? Now let's, let's think this through. The Galatians are being urged by these false teachers to turn back to something very specific, the law covenant. That's what they're being told to go back to. The Judaizers, the false teachers, wanted to enslave them by making them obey the law in order to be justified. It's been very clear, very specific. So Paul, you would think, would say, could have said, because remember, he can correct himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He could have said, why do you want to turn back to the old covenant law? Instead, he says this, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? To turn back to the law, to be made right with God through their obedience, now that Jesus Christ had come, is to return to their pagan, idolatrous background. The weak and worthless elementary principles or elemental spirits of the world. The gods that formerly enslave them. This is verses 8 and 9. But now, look up at verse 3. She's talking to Gentiles there, but look up at verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Wait, you were under the law. Right. We also. You see what Jesus has done? Paul sees his own past under Judaism, under the law, as equivalent to the elementary principles of the world. Again, can you imagine introducing that into religious discourse, what Paul just said? No wonder, again, no wonder the Judaizers hated this man. This is extremely radical, what he's saying here. Elementary principles of the world or elemental spirits can refer to one of two things. It could mean the basic building blocks of the world itself, right? Just what's in it, how people get their their reasoning and their truth. And so it could mean the basic building blocks of the world, or it could mean demonic forces. And the context favors demonic forces, as it usually does in Paul. He calls it principalities and powers elsewhere. But even if we did take it, I mean, what he means is the basic building blocks of the world and how it thinks, that still includes spiritual forces, Right, First John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The ruler of this world in John 12, 31. So demonic forces are a part of the basic building blocks of the world. The present evil age. So he's talking about them returning to their pagan backgrounds with its false gods that enslave. Then in verse 10, he tells us the things they are doing. This is where it really gets shocking. The things they are doing that demonstrate that. You would think it would mean like human sacrifice and really weird, you know, practices and all this. Look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Exclamation point. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is one of the most radical things Paul ever wrote. How does Paul know, or why does Paul believe they're turning back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Well, easy. They started doing things like observing the Sabbath again. Right? The Jews had the commands to keep the Sabbath and make it holy. They had the new moons, the first day of the month, the seventh, the appointed feasts, Passover weeks, tabernacles, the year of Jubilee. The false teachers were telling them that observing these things was necessary in order to be justified. Keep these things. You've got to do these things in order to become righteous. And they were doing it. And Paul is saying here, that observing the Sabbath and other Jewish observances like it, remember, it's been very specific all throughout. This is what context demands. By observing the Sabbath and other Jewish observances, days, weeks, all these things that were required by the law in order to remain in the covenant, doing that as a Christian who follows Christ is the same thing as returning to paganism. Beloved, now that Christ has come and finished His work for sinners... To go back to the law to be made right with God is paganism. It's very clear. It's to return to being enslaved by things that by nature are not God's. What it, that is, things that by nature cannot save people or make them righteous. That have no power to justify people. Paul is not saying that the law itself is demonic or pagan. No, 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 no. He's saying that what's woven into the basic building blocks of this world is this demonic, weak, worthless, and elementary principle, childish idea that we can be justified by obeying the law, by our good works. It is demonic to turn back to the law to be made right with God after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Justification by works is a principle of the world. The world is very spiritual. Everybody on planet earth is a theologian. The question is, what informs their theology? Christ revealed in all of scripture or their own heart? Everybody's a theologian. Everybody you meet has ideas about God. And justification by works is the principle, maybe, of this world. Did we realize this? Has, has this portion of scripture had its effect on us that when we try to earn or keep God's approval by our obedience, even to His law, that we are in league with the world and the devil, that we're being pagan. Again, not because the law is demonic or pagan. Absolutely not. What's pagan and demonic and earthly is the idea I have that by following it, God will accept me and I'll become righteous and I'll be saved. When we do that, we are saying, in effect, that we would much rather be slaves than free, right? We'd we'd rather trust what is not God and has no power to make us righteous as the means of our salvation because that is what we're saying when we do that. You see how quickly and easily you can just in one day, in your mind, in your thinking, go from freedom to slavery, freedom to slavery, freedom to slavery. And as Luther says, the, the holier and more spiritual the idolatry, the more damaging, Right? The more Christian and religious the idolatry looks, the more damaging. It, it is very hard to realize that when, as a Christian, when I turn back to the law to try to obey it so that God will approve of me, I'm being a pagan. Now that's, that's not natural. We, we don't see that. That's why it's so dangerous. How could that be the case? What Paul is saying is so radical. Right? But, but that, that's what's happening. That, that desire. No, I need to keep these things. Any of it. Any of the law. 
Right? Remember that the, the, the law is one. It can't be separated. It's the book of the covenant, right? So from commandment one to the very end, after 600 and some, you, you, if, to go back now and think, I gotta keep those in order to be righteous, you are pagan. Okay? That is, that is shocking. Right? That's, and I'm not telling you that to bury you this morning. I, I, I want to try to do what Paul is doing here and beg you not to do that anymore. It's going to kill you. One of two ways. You're going to think, I am pretty righteous. Or you're going to realize, I can't do this. I'm done. I can't be a Christian. I can't follow Jesus. Right? But it'll never lead you to Jesus. Right? I, I, I thought, again, when it doesn't look like paganism, if, if I say paganism, what pops in your head? Well, that would be like, I don't know, celebrating Halloween? No. No, you know what would be pagan? Like trusting in a rule that you can't, that will make you righteous. That would be pagan. Beloved, the effect that Jesus Christ has had on reality. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. If, if only we were in Him and could see everything through His eyes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes, Romans 10.4. Which means, by the way, that to return to the law for sanctification, so I don't believe in the law for justification, but I do for sanctification, to believe in the law to get better is paganism also. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Him, Him alone. The law's ability to make us righteous or to mark us off as His people is over in the person of Christ who again did not come and void it, but came and perfectly fulfilled it by perfectly obeying it. It's had its day. That's the point of Galatians. It had its reign. It did its job. It enslaved everybody a sinner. Now Christ has come and kept it and satisfied God's justice and righteousness forever. Paul is afraid for them because of this. He's afraid for them because they keep observing days and months and seasons and years. That made the apostle afraid. Think of the implications of that. Shouldn't that, well, you know, it's, it's better than the alternative. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. He's afraid. Paul is afraid. Paul was one of the bravest men that ever lived. They stoned him, threw him out of a town, left him for dead. He got up, walked back into the town. You don't make this man afraid very easily. He's afraid for his brothers and sisters. He's worked tirelessly to teach them and nourish their souls with this gospel. And now they're in danger of throwing it out the window for paganism and slavery. Who bewitched them? How can they be so foolish to seek salvation in anything other than Christ crucified in 5.4 is to fall from grace? Right? We, we like to think that like there's a limit of sins you get, and then you're out. You know, if you do that too much, you're out. No, you, you know what, will, what what causes us to fall from grace, and we'll dig into that that phrase when we get there. Trying to become righteous through the law. Right? You see what the devil has done? You see what he's made you think will cut you off? You see that? He's vicious and he's smart. Christ is greater. Christ is greater. Seeking salvation in anything other than Christ crucified is demonic. It's pagan, whether we're religious about it or not. Verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Right? If, if you were just going to go back to slavery under the law, if that's what you were going to pick, then I've wasted my time with you, Paul is saying. And what's the evidence that a person wants to go back to slavery? Well, they keep trying to observe the law. You hear that? Do you hear that, beloved? And law equals pagan slavery now that Christ has come. Beloved, resist that pull. It's coming from your flesh. Christ has made you righteous. Christ has made you acceptable to God. That's not why we do good works. We are no longer required to submit to regulations. Colossians 2.20 Read Colossians. Please, read it. Don't take my word for anything. Read the word of God. They don't want to hear about that, though. They'd rather be slaves. We like our rules. 
Right? One of the most subversive things you can do in a church is relax the rules. Take the rules away. That makes people furious. Like, I find my identity by serving. You're taking away everything from me. Right? Why do we think Paul is being rejected here? Right? This, it's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. 12 through 16. Brothers, I entreat you. I beg you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So, by the way, we just made the transition from here to the end of the letter. Um, Paul is going to apply what, what are the implications of his theology if what he has said is true. That's what the rest of the letter is mainly. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone should have an effect on us. What Paul is, is laboring to say is, that the effect is not that it would make us zealous now to finally obey the law. That is not the effect, God-given effect of justification by faith. The God-given effect, the result He wants in our hearts of justification by faith, the main effect of it is that we would rest because Christ has fulfilled the law and imputed His perfect righteousness to us as a gift Right? He's, he's, he's not pressing here. Paul, notice this. Paul is not pressing here because they're being lazy and taking advantage of grace and not doing enough good works. They're doing a ton of good works. They're doing more than they ever had in Galatia. These were Gentiles, pagan Gentiles. Now they're straightened up and clean and following law. So their problem is not you're taking advantage of grace. Right? You're not doing enough. No, you're doing way too much. Stop. Right? That is why he's so passionate. Because their passion for good works over grace is not and never is a sign of maturity. The more mature we get, the more we realize what we are and realize that what we could offer up on our best day is still filthy rags. This, this, what they're doing, their, their passion to do good means you, you want to be slaves again. You want to be slaves again. So verse 12 is almost the summary sentence for the whole letter. He says, I entreat you, become as I am. That's the first command in the whole letter. You see, the way to correct bad thinking is not to run in and say behave. It's to walk back through the Scripture and say, don't you know what the Word of God teaches? So far, he's laid out his apostolic authority. Justification by faith apart from the works of the law, the centrality of Christ crucified, the gift of the Holy Spirit in every believer, the role of the law and the covenants in redemptive history. Then comes his first command after all that. And it's this, become like me. And he's pleading here. He's not rebuking anymore. You, you can see, it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking to see this, this shift from get it together to what are you doing? Right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's such an obvious shift. He's pleading here. He's not rebuking them anymore. It, this is like, this is exactly like when a parent, because he'll call them my little children. That's how he looks at them. It's not a demeaning term. It's a term of endearment. Like when, when you tenderly speak to a child after discipline so that, that, that they know, sweetheart, that the discipline didn't mean that now you're cut off and not accepted and I don't love you. Right, that, that, that's, right, dads, that's, this means, this is Paul saying, please don't think my tone here means I don't love you with all my heart. That's, that's Paul here. So tender. I want you to become like me. Is this arrogance? No. What does he mean? I want you to become free from the law like I am. Right? I want you to be free and be happy and be joyful and have rest in Christ and make some decisions like I have that wouldn't make any sense if you weren't going to be risen from the dead. 
he had become like them. He was freed from the law, just as they were. That's what he's saying. Paul knows they were most likely offended by his words. Again, he's not dumb. You, you don't tell people they've been bewitched and they're foolish without a little bit of pushback, right? So he, but now he wants to draw them back. His, his rebuke, his rebuke might have made them think he didn't love them anymore, but nothing could be further from the truth. It was exactly the opposite. They can trust him. He's like, you know me. You, you see that earthiness here? No, oh, you guys know me. Come on. That's what he wants them to know. They used to be close. Look how close they were. They welcomed his teaching. They welcomed him. Right? And Paul was a burden to take on. Right? He, you didn't reject me because I was sick and had weaknesses. You didn't reject me even though there's trouble everywhere I go. You link up with me, you're probably going to get beaten like I do. But you didn't reject me for that. You didn't despise me for that. You accepted me. You received me as an angel. You received me as though I was Jesus himself. It could have been that it was during the time he had the affliction in his eyes that he references in Second Corinthians maybe. They, they would have gouged out their eyes and given them to him gladly. That's how much they loved him. That's, that's, that was Paul. That was their Paul. What happened? Right? What then has become of your blessedness? What has happened to all your hope and joy? Legalism happened. Now, 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 now. Let's not get too carried away with this grace thing. That's what happened. Grace is dangerous if you go too far with it. Happened. Right? As if we are so righteous and clear thinking that God gives grace and we say, Whoa, hold on, tiger. That's not good. That we'll, we'll get lazy if you accept us before we pay. So No. No, that's absurd. That's the devil. It's Antichrist. Grace is from God. There is nothing wrong with it. It is not the enemy. It is not a disadvantage. It is not a weight. It is not a burden. We are so corrupt, we look at grace and say, you you got to scale it back. No, Christ is enough, is what grace means. He's not exacting from you your payment. You're accepted and righteous and perfect forever in Christ. That's what grace is saying. See, yeah, we need Jesus, but we still need to strive to be good people and obey the law. That's what happened in Galatia. That's what happened to their blessedness. That's what happened to that welcoming spirit and joy that no matter what, Paul, we will take you in. You brought the gospel to us. We would gladly gouge out our eyes for you. You, you changed our lives. You set us free. We love you. You know what happened to that? Just let's rethink this for just a minute here. Right? There's still the law. And in their eyes, precisely because Paul wanted to set them free from slavery, by telling them the truth, he became their enemy. He became their enemy for his message of grace. Look at verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. These Judaizers, the false teachers, couldn't stand the Galatians. Right? All throughout Acts, men like this were a tumor in the church. All throughout the book of Acts. Always jealous, always stirring up the pot, always tattling little snitches. Right? That's, that's what they are. They hated Gentiles. They hated the idea that these Gentiles think they can be a part of the people of God now on this Jesus Christ and just ask for forgiveness and get saved and get baptized and now you're fully a member of the people of God. No, 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 no. And so they're just, they hated the Galatians. They wanted to shut the Galatians out by making them feel second class in the kingdom of God. They wanted to make a distinction between themselves and these Gentile believers in their place. Or they, they wanted to put these Gentile believers in their place. A place, by the way, which would have them looking up at them. Oh, how we wish we could be like you and have what you have. And Please let us in. Please accept us. Please let us be a part of your people of God, gang, please. See, that's what legalism does. That's what exalting the law over Jesus will do. That's what becoming a taskmaster over other people's consciences will do. It will make them want to please you and perform for you and do well for you. Legalism makes the people who are under it the slaves of those who teach it without fail. 
We bind the consciences of others to us rather than the Holy Spirit. This is what Christians do to one another all the time. And social media has made it a million times worse. Because now everybody has a platform where they don't have to look people in the eye. And, and we, just, we just heap burden after burden after burden after burden on one another. You better shape up. You better keep doing this. You better start doing this. You better stop doing that. You want to do this? I, if you really love the Lord, I would do this. And if I really wanted to obey the Lord, I would do this. If I wanted to really glorify God, I'd do this. It's brutal. And it's almost impossible to set people free from that. Right? There's very good reason, unfortunately, from history that the Galatians didn't respond well to Paul. Right? It doesn't look like they ever recovered. Right? Again, Paul is writing to set them free. He's trying to expose the false teachers. He's telling them they do not have your best interests at heart. They're after their own. All true legalists are. Right? They want to mingle law and gospel. They're after their own interests. They want to be exalted. And we're, we become their fans. We flatter them. We become subservient to them. I will play for my wife sometimes these little video clips of these independent Baptist fundamentalist preachers out there today. If you take a listen to them or don't, would be better. Don't ever listen to them. They're obnoxious, loud-mouthed, arrogant sin sheriffs, and their congregations are captivated by them. They'll make death threats if somebody questions or insults one of them. They worship them. Why? Because they're scratching the itch. Oh, absolutely. They, we love the idea of the law for righteousness. We want to earn. We want to perform. We gladly put ourselves, look at the text, we gladly put ourselves back under slavery. This great, I can't handle this grace idea. Give me the law. Give me a list. Right? Cain killed Abel over this. Over what God accepts and what God doesn't. It's been in the DNA since the beginning. And if a teacher rises up that will scratch that itch, to make ourselves righteous by the law and get accepted by God by our obedience and our works, we'll bow down and worship them, even though by nature they are not gods, they cannot save, they cannot liberate, all they can do is enslave. Look at 18 and 19. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, again, how many times have they been through this? until Christ is formed in you. What do the false teachers want formed in the Galatians? Themselves. Right? Themselves. Paul wanted Christ to be formed in the Galatians and in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul is after their good. He's after God's glory. Therefore, he became their enemy. We have to open our eyes. We have to open our eyes. Paul's soul felt like it was in labor over this. Right? Everyone has zeal. It doesn't mean anything. Everyone is passionate about something. Right? Antifa's passionate. They need their behinds kicked in, but they're passionate, right? Passion doesn't mean you're right. The false teachers were passionate. Paul is passionate. Beloved, pray for the wisdom to know when passion for you and other people is for your good and when it's for your harm. Who are the people that want Christ to be formed in you? Who are the people that want themselves and their agendas to be formed in you? What is the proof that Paul wants to make much of them, not himself, that Paul's passion for them, his anguish is for a good purpose because of its goal, their formation in Christ, I just want you to believe what I'm saying so that you will rest. He's in the anguish of childbirth until they come into that reality. Which means, the word until means they still hadn't. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. These things weren't really meant for a letter. Right, he readily admits that. It's just that's the best he could do at the time. God's sovereign design, he worked that out so that we wouldn't feel shortchanged that he wasn't here with us. He wasn't there with them either. He wants to be face to face. He loves these people. He's so perplexed. He just wants to sit down and look him in the eye together and say, how, how, how did we get here? What happened? 
right? You, you know me. You know what I've been through. You know what I've suffered for this. Why are you listening to them? Right? Don't you remember that the law came 430 years after the covenant with Moses? You, you can hear all this is coming from his heart, etc., etc. Their drift back into slavery makes no sense. They had put on Christ, but they needed to grow into their new clothes. And Paul says, stop leaning on the law. Don't even lean on it. Come back into the fullness of who Christ is for you and what he's accomplished. Beloved, doctrine really matters. It did to Paul. We would do well to be in the anguish of childbirth over one another until Christ is formed in all of us. Which means I don't have the time, neither do you, to be burdened down by other things in the church. That's what's at stake when we get distracted as to what's really important and what really matters. I don't have time to be burned down about other people's behavior. Christ needs to be formed in me. We should fill out the clothes in which we've been dressed. Do we understand this text? When we try to justify ourselves by our works, by following the law, we are trying to impress and get the approval of a God who doesn't even exist. The God that will accept our works as the righteousness that saves, He does not exist. He's a false God. He's not real. So to return to works for righteousness is unavoidably to become an idolater, to worship this God we've created that will accept our works as righteousness. To return to works isn't safe. It isn't righteous. Our best is not good enough for the one true and living God. To therefore offer our best to God as though He can be placated like that is really the epitome of blasphemy. And it doesn't matter what form our best takes. And we'd say, but but isn't God worthy of our best? Yes! But it's not enough! He, he's worthy of your best and billions more. That's how holy He is. This is all an assault. Works righteousness is all an assault on the character of God. He's too holy to be placated with even my best. It's not enough. Of course He's worthy of it. But it's not enough. It won't save me. It won't get me a little bit closer either. To be a son and an heir with full rights and privileges is mine by believing that Christ is my only salvation. That's why Jesus had to come and die and be our righteousness for us and cleanse us of our sins. Jesus is humanity's best. Let Him carry that load. Let Jesus carry that load. God can only be known through Christ and Christ can only be gained by faith. So the true God is a God of extremely goodwill and love and mercy and grace. This God that has His arms crossed, shaking His finger in your face, He doesn't exist. It's a fantasy in our wicked hearts that God will accept us because of the things we do. That's an earthly, pagan fantasy. That's what it is. Love this quote from Luther, founded earlier this week. There is no middle ground between human works and the knowledge of Christ for salvation. None. If this knowledge, the knowledge of Christ, is obscured or disfigured, even if it's by the law, everything becomes the same thing. Just works that cannot save. Whether you're a monk or a pagan or a fundamentalist, it doesn't matter. Christ alone saves or nothing saves. And outside of Christ, even the most moral thing is as wicked as the most immoral thing. That's what it is to reject Christ alone for salvation. Right? It's to deny that the true God exists and worship this one that we have made, that we can satisfy. We make gods that will accept us through our works because that's how we want to be accepted. We are filled with pride. The gospel is crystal clear. It's not confusing. We just don't want it to be that way. Not in our natures. We need saved, beloved, saved from this. So whether elementary principles of the world refers to the traditions of pagan Gentiles or the law of Moses, at the end of the day makes no difference. 
Because whoever rejects grace to go back to the law for righteousness is an idolater. It doesn't matter what path they take. This is who God is. This is how the one true and living God speaks. Another quote. No righteousness or wisdom or religion made by human beings can please me. This is God speaking to us through his word. Only one way glorifies me, and it is through my son. Everyone who takes hold of him takes hold of me, and I will be their God. I will accept and justify and save them. Everything else abides under my wrath. Beloved, His grace is sufficient for every single one of you. All right? If, God forbid, this is a little bit melodramatic, but I'm going to say it. All right? If, God forbid, something happened to me on vacation, all right, which I'll be here all week. We leave Saturday. When, when you remember me, whether we have 50 more years together or another couple of days, you remember that sentence. That's all I want you to remember. His grace is sufficient for you. I want every single one of you to know that better than you know your own names. Believer, you will be there. You will be there when the roll is called up yonder. Moundsville Baptist Church will be present on the other side of the Jordan because Christ holds fast. And that's the only reason why. One of the things we've learned from this passage is that we all fundamentally have the same past. Right? We all fundamentally have the same past. Some of us were in slavery to immoral lives. Some of us were in slavery to moral lives. But we were all slaves. Both of those lives were slavery to the elemental spirits and elementary principles of the world. Jesus is not ashamed of you or your past or your future. In one Christ, despite our pasts, in one Christ, one Savior, everyone who believes has been set free. And what Galatians is telling us is that we need to hear that again and again and again until our new clothes fit. And I have this hunch they won't fit until we get home, but that's all right. We'll be held fast. See, I I need you to link arms with me and help me get there. You need me to link arms with you and help you get there. Do you see? We can't afford to not be that close. We can't afford it, beloved. We must grow into and embrace the knowledge of what Christ has truly accomplished for us. And it's the Word of God proclaimed that shows us the way. Until together, according to Ephesians, we become who we are. This is the only lifelong pursuit that's worthwhile. So look to Christ. Believer, look to Christ. Let's fit into these clothes and make it home. And anybody in this room this morning that isn't believing in this moment in Christ as their Savior, you have to know nothing needs to happen for you to come and receive Him, but for you to come and receive Him. Right? Don't, don't worry about We don't get clean to take baths. You, you don't need to get ready and, and make yourself presentable. You'll, none of us are presentable. You know how Christians are presentable? Christ has dressed us in His clothes. So you come. You come and accept Him. You come and believe in Him. He will never turn you away. He'll never turn you away. Let's pray. I'll be down front. If you need to come and pray at all, if you want to join our church, you want to be baptized, you just need to pray. You want to express that you've believed in Christ as your Savior, you come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us today. I thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace. It is indescribably beautiful and perfect. So, Father, have your way this morning. May every eye be looking to you. Lord, would you draw your people now who are confused and afraid and troubled and burdened by, if it's not by their own struggle and their own sinfulness, it's, it's by just the weight and burdens of life and loss in this world. Care for them, Father. Bring them close. Be Father today for us, Lord God. 
May we know it like we've never known it before. And for those, Father, in this room that don't know you, Father, raise them from the dead by the word of Christ. Bring them to life. Save them. Cause them to look to you and cry out to you. You will receive every single one. You would never break a bruised reed, not once. And so, Father, we look to you and we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's all right. God, God is over all things. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, let me pray for us to be dismissed. I, I am, again, I'll, I'll be here all week. We have Wednesday night like normal. My family and I aren't pulling out until Saturday. I'm going to miss you guys. I mean that with all my heart. I'm going to miss you. All right? So let's, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this time. Once again, Father, that you have revealed yourself through your word. Lord, that the word is sufficient. Let us lean on it entirely and believe every word you've spoken for. Every word of God proves true. And you are watching over your word to perform it. Lord God, it will not fail. And so, Lord, be with us all. Watch over each one. I pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may your people hear of Christ crucified. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You're dismissed, everyone.